0: Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hey, everyone, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast podcast. We are doing things a little differently this week. I've actually got today's guest, Mark Blumenkrantz, on the line. Hey, Mark, how are you?
1: Great, Tom. How about yourself? Good to talk to you.
0: You're such a professional and such a regular guest that I feel comfortable doing the intro in front of you for the first time. So before we get into our conversation, we have a few cool things to talk about. I did want to uh, remind our listeners that uh, OIS at SECO is happening on February 21st in New Orleans. Mark, you've been with OIS from the very beginning. Uh, If anyone hasn't attended an OIS, what can you... uh, What can you say that might get them to do so?
1: Well, I think OAS is the definitive forum, essentially the nexus of all people that are interested in vision care, whether they're academics, uh, industry, researchers, governmental workers that uh, have regulatory oversight. I think it's where people come together and it really represents a consensus view that that's where things happen. So aside from the educational piece, hearing about what's new, it gives people a chance to network, to interact with each other, to, to make and to enforce uh, existing uh, collaborative relationships. And I see it as essential to anybody who's interested in really uh, being up to date
0: and also playing playing a role going forward. There you go. See, I could not literally have, could not have said that better myself. So thank you, Mark, for the plug. And now let's get into uh, this conversation. We have a, a few things to talk about. But uh, number one, I know you're working on a uh, part of an uh, organizing committee for a public workshop that's coming up on April 8th. In uh, is it's it's in Silver Springs, Maryland. It's Silver in,
1: Springs, Maryland, right? Very right nearby Washington and the FDA and a lot of a lot of our important uh, governmental agencies. Yes.
0: So the FDA is involved, uh, the American Academy of Ophthalmology, and the American Academy of Optometry. So this is something for for eye care professionals far and wide. Tell us a bit about the uh, the forum on laser based imaging. What uh, what is why is that coming together? And uh, let's talk a bit after that. So, what the day will look like?
1: I think the reason that we're doing this is to uh, both serve as an educational function in terms of make, making people aware of not only what's available currently, which is what a lot of uh, conferences do and talk about people's research, but to talk about what are the likely areas for innovation in the future and to uh, really speed the innovation process along. And and by that, I think there's a couple of components to it. One is the technical innovations that occur, uh, new use indications, uh, and but also the regulatory process and how does that all tie together. And I think that's... What we're trying to do is to get all the relevant stakeholders uh, together in the same place and to uh, essentially try to build both an educational format and also a consensus building format. Uh, The reason I say that is that um, uh, we need to have ways uh, to be able to assess uh, both the safety and the efficacy of devices in the future and to help people that are in the innovation space. Think about that in advance so that as they develop, whether it's processes, uh, hardware, software, software, uh, wetware, if you will, even, uh, to be able to um, really understand what's involved and to sort of get it right from the get-go so that... uh, People don't go down blind pathways, and 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 more importantly, that we can sort of help steer them to the uh, people they need to to know to uh, to talk with uh, to get advice and to and to just in general enhance the innovation process.
0: Now we'll put the link up to this event uh, on the website with this podcast, uh, and I'm looking at it right now. Uh, the speakers are still uh, to be determined, but uh, you've got it broken up into three areas. One. Uh, OCT one on adaptive optics, and the third is uh, non-clinical data sources. Are these all going to be single-person presentations? Do you see a mix of presentations and in uh, panel discussions? What is uh, what will the day look like?
1: Sure. Well, I can. There's actually I can give you some update even on the speaker list. If you go to the uh, to the link which you'll have uh, available to listeners, uh, it's a it's an all-star cast of people that are actively involved in this uh, both. Uh, uh, clinicians, uh, people with very strong technical backgrounds and things like AI, adaptive optics, um, and um, a- a- enhanced OCT imaging, we made the uh, uh, decision to limit it to laser based imaging because I first of all the field's moving in that direction, although there's going to be always going to be room for high quality conventional optics. But the idea that this information is stored digitally um, and that uh, uh, retrieval analysis uh, and turning essentially data into information is a big part of why it's so powerful. You know, if we step back for a second, Tom, and kind of look at data as a larger issue, a larger story. Uh, We're we're coming to this uh, important confluence. Uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, in the way that uh, 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 Ray Kurzweil talks about a singularity of machines becoming smarter than men and and women, and and, uh, we're coming to a really important confluence, I think, in the history of medicine, really, that relates to different sources of data. We've always had the clinical record, uh, and that's been powerful, but it's Initially it was handwritten and then it was typed and now it's in E H uh, format and it's be- beginning to become retrievable and even retrievable not just by individuals but by by organizations um, uh, through the formation of registries. So that's our traditional data sources and then the other two really large data sources are genomic data, the, the characterization you know of health and disease. Uh, And that's going to become an increasingly important part. And then the third leg of the stool, if you will, is image data, which is, again, very, first of all, memory intensive. Secondly, it contains a lot more information than we're used to thinking of it. And it's the use of laser-based imaging tools that can do very significant degrees of quantification and subsequent uh, analytics that really creates an opportunity to have uh, a really powerful, really, really powerful uh, data that can really inform decision making, research, patient management, um, health strategies going forward. So this is the this is one of the three big legs on the stool. And we had another conference actually looking at digital medicine um, about a year and a half ago. Actually, also in the Washington area, again, you know, with the same sort of organizing group looking at those issues. And I'm sure that uh, there will be future conferences looking at the genomic piece as well. So that's the thinking: is to pull together these three large um, sources of data to look at how they're, uh, how these, the data extraction tools, if you will, the sensors are developed, um, how the analytics are performed, what are the regulatory hurdles, and also talking a little bit about some of the risks, you know, of data and how to protect privacy. And so forth and so on. So that's the thinking, and and this is the right time to do it because everybody's, you know, we're becoming a you know an image driven society with uh, smartphones and and tablets and so forth. It's it's uh, it's really an exciting time for us in medicine because we have access
0: to this. And we're of course seeing with IDX getting their FDA approval last year for their AI AI uh, system that's able to to read it, their images. I mean, ophthalmology really is at the forefront of a lot of this. It seems.
1: You know we are, and that's one of the that's kind of one of the nice things about OIS um, that goes even beyond ophthalmology. Is that you know that ophthalmology, and and if you will, visual science is a learning laboratory for all of medicine. If you if you go back and look at uh, the history, really, of modern technology development for medical devices and and drugs, for that matter, and even genomics and genetics, ophthalmology seems to have always been first. And you know we we can we could be smug about it and say it's we're smarter or we're people are more creative. But I think it has to do with the, the eye really as a model system. Um, first of all, you're able to look into the eye, and that, that relates very specifically to the imaging we're talking about today. And also, it's an understandable system. We don't have some of the, if you will, confounding variables of the systemic circulation and other issues and access, and so things get tend to get worked out in the eye first. And as you say, uh, the first approved, you know, AI tool in, in medicine, at least for, uh, um, you know, in the United States, really, it turned into uh, turned out to be an ophthalmic application, and we're really excited about that being the first of many.
0: Absolutely. So, so this again is happening on April eighth, and uh, into Silver Springs, Maryland. Uh, Silver Spring, Maryland. Uh, the who who should attend this? I mean, is this for physicians? Is this for entrepreneurs? Who do you expect to be in the room, or who should be in the room? Who should be uh, getting on the website right now?
1: I think anyone who's interested. Um, in imaging uh, for any a number of different reasons. I think there's clearly a clinical focus to this um, in the sense that these are tools that are meant to advance um, patient care. But that said, I think the people who develop those tools uh, tend to have a very strong technical bent, and and that can be people uh, in any number of different areas. Um, for instance, I think um, certainly industry. I think it's really important for industry to get a viewpoint as to what you know what are the regulatory considerations that are, are going to be uh, part and parcel of bringing new exciting technology to market. I think. Uh, people with technical uh, backgrounds in uh, research institutions, think tanks, as well as traditional academic centers that are doing imaging research. There's lots of great um, AO applications going on on universities around around the country, Rochester, Stanford, many, um, uh, Boston, um, you name it. Um, So people who work in those labs, people who are even developing research tools uh, that need to be approved uh, to be able to facilitate approvals in other areas. For instance, imaging, is, as you know, as people are looking at the use of uh, retinal image data to look at uh, as an endpoint for um, other diseases such as Alzheimer's disease, uh, plaque uh, formation um, visualized in the retina, and, and for other types of cardiovascular cardiovascular indications as well, predictive. So I think all of those people, and then uh, clinicians who um, want to know more about what they should be thinking about and and i think entrepreneurs uh, for sure so really all of the um, all of the above um, and i would uh, venture anybody else who just feels that they're have a technical bent that what are thinking about getting into this area
0: and the deadline is uh, for registering is march 27th uh it says that uh early rec- registration is recommended because facilities are limited so just uh, something to keep in mind and I guess there's also a webcast option as well uh just finally you mentioned um you had some of the speakers uh and that's going to be a real murderers row
1: yeah sure yeah there are lots of lots of the lots of the very uh, very uh, leading speakers. So, I mean, certainly what we've done is we've broken it down a little bit. Obviously, OCT was initially developed as a good example, or for that matter, imaging, fundus imaging, really uh, probably was most heavily utilized by retinal specialists with fluorescein angiography and and uh, and so forth and color fundus photos for diabetic retinopathy grading. But now we have really important indications in glaucoma management in terms of looking at... Uh, uh, optic nerve head morphology, looking at nerve fiber layer and ganglion cell thickness measurements and so forth, and even looking at uh, the anterior segment. I mean, I don't have to tell you, Tom, that that uh, whether it's uh, looking into the anterior chamber angle or using OCT guidance uh, to help um, uh, do a treatment plan for femtosecond laser-assisted cataract surgery, uh, imaging has become critical. Image guidance, you know, in the operating room, intraoperative OCT and And then a lot of the tools, you know, we talk a little bit about software as a medical device. And that's something that we discussed at the the last forum we did um, in Gaithersburg. Uh, looking at those actually as medical devices so I think that uh, uh, we'll have something for everybody, uh, anterior segment surgeons, uh, glaucoma specialists retinal specialists and everybody neuro uh, so I think it really covers the gamut and some of those people include uh, people like uh, uh, Rick Spade and Vasada, Joel Schumann, Michael Chang uh, we'll have Austin Rorder, one of the world's authorities in adaptive optics, also Alf Dubra and that same area, people who are working on models to, uh, to predict. Maybe if I could digress for a second, or it's very much related, I think one of the things that the FDA is doing, and I want to emphasize the important role that they play in all this in terms of fostering and encouraging innovation, is the idea that we need to have new and streamlined ways to facilitate the approval of devices that are safe and effective you know it's it can be a lengthy process that, although great strides have been made and so there are a number of initiatives uh, by, the, uh, by the FDA and the government including things like the medical device development tools um, that are specific uh, use indicated uh, metrics uh, to be able to uh, be used by people making submissions and then subsequent uh, developers and organizations and so getting uh, if you will, consensus around what are the best metrics, what are the best tools uh, that need to be, that can be used to speed up the process and making sure that they're well validated. Those are gonna be topics that were. are um, uh, discussing at this forum. So it's new cutting edge stuff. And those tools can be something as simple as a new measurement, looking at a particular cell layer in the retina or the optic nerve. It could be biomarkers can be, you know, in vivo imaging is getting really interesting, you know, as opposed to ex vivo. And by in vivo vivo imaging, I'm, I'm, I just don't mean OCT morphology, but I mean, ways of looking at functional, um, changes in the, in um, uh, anatomic tissues, you know, oxidative state, and and so forth, and other functional imaging, and then finally predictive models. It may be that we may be able to speed the development of clinical trials uh, through through trial recruitment and also better endpoints, especially if we can develop. Uh, ways to predict uh, recruitment of patients, and also what the control group is likely to look at like, so that we can come up with more accurate estimates of sample size. So, and these are all things that are that are sort of built into the development pathway. And I think they're the kind of things that you might not hear necessarily at some of the specialty conferences, but that you would hear at a conference like this, where we have you know sort of all relevant parties to the development process coming together in one room uh, and talking about this stuff. And I I might finally mention that uh, there are some plenary lectures by some of the leading luminaries, but we also have allocated a very large amount of time. In fact, I think it's an equal amount of time for panel discussions where we put other experts on the podium and we have free-ranging, you know, some targeted questions, but a lot of free-ranging discussion about some of the issues. And the issues can be technical, they can be clinical, they can be ethical, they can be, you know, privacy related. These are all things, you know, as we get this power, you know, the power of AO, the power of AI, and by AI. Uh, I don't mean artificial intelligence that's a kind of a one way to look at it. It's augmented intelligence that looking at uh, some of the things that uh, i d x has pioneered you know with their levels of autonomy. these are all really important, uh, somewhat nuanced topics that I think everybody would would benefit from learning more about and that that's what this conference is designed to do.
0: Uh, you are the uh, chairman and managing director of Loganitas Biosciences. Uh, you, you do some investments in this space, and I want to talk about one in particular in a minute. But how does all this? Uh, how does all this affect your your thinking as an investor and and, and an innovator in uh, in device companies or, or in, in in biotech as well? Is it uh, is it changing how you do things or how you see others do things?
1: Yeah, it it, ha- it has, Kyle. I think for one thing, I mean, you know, sort of a general aphorism is you always start with the end in mind and work backwards. And I think the end is is really, a, you know, tools, drugs, and de, you know, and devices that are really useful to patient care, and then understanding, you know, what what is that sort of linear pathway between and an by identifying an unmet need, uh, then the invention, um, and then the prototyping, uh, and then the uh, testing, uh, and finally, the regulatory pathway. And I think if you don't think about, and then and the reimbursement pathway, and if you don't think about all of those individual pieces at the beginning, uh, you can go down blind alleys, you can get lost, you can spend millions or tens of millions of dollars more than are necessary, and still at the end of the day, not have an approved device that can be used on patients. So I think my The way I'm influenced by it is really understanding that it's a huge jigsaw puzzle, um, a puzzle in the sense that the pieces all have to fit together, but it's also a pathway. And I think there is a there is a rhyme and a reason to it. And I think by understanding each and every one of those components and recognizing that you have to pay attention to each one, that you can't just spend time on the science or you can't just spend time on the reimbursement model, but you have to understand use case and and regulatory, as well as the IP and the financing and so forth, it just makes you a better innovator, and it makes you—I think—it makes you a better investor.
0: Excellent. Let's talk specifically about one of your investments. Uh, it was announced back in August, so it's a little, uh, perhaps, not as fresh as uh, as uh, as I'd want it to be, but it's an interesting deal. It's an investment in a company called cadellian Therapeutics. Am I saying that right? Is Cadellian?
1: Yes, correct. Uh-huh.
0: Tell us uh, what is cadellian trying to do, and what what is uh, what is AcuStream all about?
1: Kedalian really all about topical drug delivery to the front of the eye. You know, we've spent I've spent most much of my career thinking about how to get drugs to the back of the eye because I'm a retinal specialist initially by training and practice and it's a, that continues to be an an ongoing challenge you know that has to do with lots of things you know but, but you know one could argue it's classically you know um where do you administer the drug and uh, and uh, what are what are the pharmacokinetics how long does it hang around and and so forth, the pharmacodynamics. Where does it react, and does it get through the right areas? You know, the front of the eye is an interesting. Uh, it's a very, very large market as well. It's an important need. There are lots of untreatable diseases um, um, or poorly treated diseases because of delivery issues. You know, I guess. I guess the underlying rationale is, if you think about uh, eye drops, uh, it's really. I don't know what century to put it, but I would guess that it's no later than 18th century technology. Uh, bottles are plastic instead of glass, <laughs> but dropper bottles have been around, you know, uh, since the time of alchemists. And these potions have just been uh, dropped by gravity uh, onto the eye, and probably more often than not, they don't make it. Um, and all sorts of things happen. For starters, the the uh, cul-de-sac of the eye only holds a very small quantity of fluid, and anything else that you put in excess of that uh, potential space uh, just dribbles off onto the cheek. So, we, you know, a typical drop is thirty or forty microliters of fluid. That's just the, that's just driven by the surface, the interfacial tension between the um, uh, the air and the and the fluid. And there's some. You know, there's some Newtonian uh, uh, physics involved as well. But in general, the, the dose of drug that we apply to the eye, we now know for many investigators over the years, is probably five times greater than what the eye can accommodate. So your 80% is just lost. You know, it's down the drain. Uh, so that's one thing. And then secondly, uh, the precision with which you can uh, uh, measure that is is not very high. We, you know, it's plus or minus... or 30%, and then the accuracy, you know, of getting drops onto the surface of the eye is also problematic. I mean, people tilt their head back and they pull their lid down and then they hold the bottle over the top of their head and they hope that it's kind of like a bombing run, you know, uh, without precision uh, laser-guided missiles, you know, to guide you where it needs to go. And so all of those things can be solved by technology. You can uh, quantify the the amount of drug you're applying. You can um, um, deliver it. Uh, to a a very precise location within a millimeter or two if you needed to. Uh, And then you can cut the dose way down by using essentially uh, electromechanical uh, technology that's very low cost and and very portable and lightweight um, that, that could literally rival the um uh, the cost of just making conventional dropper bottles or thereabouts and so and then the final piece I guess is just compliance. if something's hard to use and then if you add a, a, an additional dimension of it's uncomfortable to use, we know that people just won't use drugs like that, whether they're pills or sprays or whatever and so that was what we set out to do was to sort of take you know a greatly antiquated means of administering important medications, whether it's for glaucoma lowering, you know, glaucoma treatment or anti-infectives or steroids or and many other indications as well, both the existing indications and potentially novel indications. And we said, we can do better. You know, uh, we're not doing radio keratotomy anymore. We're not even doing mostly PRK. We're doing LASIK and, you know, we're doing more and more, you know, image guided surgery. And so we're, that's the the mission the, and the vision you know for Cadalian is to do that and to do it so that it's cost effective you know price competitive and that patients have a better experience they get the drug where it needs to be in the right dose and with a greater degree of comfort and if you do that there's a whole market and a world out there uh that would benefit from that and we think the the benefits are self evident you know like a lot of things it you know adoption relates to people understanding the benefits, uh, essentially making them self-evident and making sure that it's cost-effective and affordable. And we're, we aim to do all those things, and I can tell you more uh, as it develops, but we're we're very optimistic that we've found a great solution for
0: those things. Is there an opportunity, I'm thinking about uh, a respiratory uh Application for sensors and for sort of data collection. Uh, it was called Propeller Health that was used with inhalers to track yes. the amount. The, is, there, is there an application in, in eye care for eye drops to make sure people are, you know, to track the.
1: Absolutely, unequivocally, yeah. Well, as you know, I'm interested in, in, uh, in digital, you know, uh, digital, um, por- uh, port- uh, portable, miniaturized technology that relates to uh, mobile tools, you know, with, with Digicite and so forth. And so there's a terrific opportunity there you know because once you start up once you make devices smart uh even if the smartness if you will is related to the to the delivery if you will, or the therapeutic application, it also creates uh an opportunity uh to uh to quantify. Uh, what you've done at the same time using image tools or other tools, audio tools, and so forth, and so yeah we I mean I see a lot of this the same is true by the way for for sleep medicine too, right you know and uh and actually, one of our partners uh working with this actually is the one of the uh, uh global leaders in in respiratory medicine uh, aerosolized medications in in respirators and um uh, home pulmonary. Uh, treatments, the aerogen. And so there's quite a bit of technology. You know, I just spent a few minutes talking about how ophthalmology imports everything to other parts of medicine. But in fairness, we sometimes we learn from others and certainly the some of the lessons learned from the people that are doing uh, inhalational therapy, aerosolization and so forth. Uh, and microfluidic, just in general, the use of microfluidics, um, not just for cataract surgery, but for or vitrectomy, but for other applications, is really relevant to this. So, yes, the answer is the, that's the long answer. The short answer is yes.
0: Terrific. And just finally, give us an update, if you would, on uh, on Verana. This is a company that had started off at Digi- Digicide and, and, and was working with uh, AAO on uh, bringing in its, its iris data. And now you've got a, a really, I think, powerful data company led by a, a new CEO who we had here on the podcast a, a bit ago. And I think he. Also, it presented at, uh, at J.P. Morgan, I believe, so he's certainly getting some attention. Um, How is that uh, effort going from your perspective?
1: Well, we think it's going very, very well. I think that the really powerful thing um, essentially is is the, pow- is the power of data. We talked a little bit about that, different data streams. I think uh, the Irish Registry is the, is the single largest a single specialty registry in the world i think it is will it will come to be viewed as the pioneer uh in this area um we'll, probably the only other large one um uh, that has worked in this area and in, in the um degree of penetration, if you will, and so forth, is less is flat iron and they 're doing a great job and brought a lot of awareness but i think I think David Park and the AAO have just been absolutely astounding in the degree of foresight and also the execution of building a registry like that and and I think everyone recognizes that it 's a registry that 's built on trust uh, the patients trusting their physicians uh, with their data the the physicians trusting the American Academy. With, the, with with that data and the academy trusting a business partner, which we all um, in Verana with that. And I think it's worked well. It's been a marriage that has been uh, really uh, proceeded uh, flawlessly to this point in time in terms of – because I think the, at the end of the day, day data is just data. Uh, but what we want are – we want to turn data into information and we want to turn information into insights and we want to turn insights into better diagnosis and better therapy. And I think that's what's happening. And we've never had an opportunity to do anything like this. And there's so much opportunity. I think tying it back even to OIS and tying it back uh, to um, this imaging uh, forum, it it really has to do with how how do we all partner together? And in this case, it would be Potentially, the FDA, the the, um, uh, 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 the American Academy of Ophthalmology, and and companies like Verana and many others, and and manufacturers, to be able to work together to to have a common language, you know, a common toolkit. We talked a little bit about toolkits before, and to be able to work together so that we can, first of all, make a patients aware. Um, Um, of research that's being done. I think one of the really hard things for all the companies, medical device companies, drug device, drug companies, uh, um, uh, public health initiatives is finding patients and matching patients to treatments and matching treatments to patients. Uh, And I think this kind of, these large data sets where there's a lot of um, uh, interchange and yet all the important uh, and critical protections of privacy and data security, which is a related but separate issue from privacy, if you will, um, are coming together well and I think people who know a lot about this are investing the resources, human resources, and the financial resources to make sure because I think the thing is is that it 's only going to work if there's con- if there's continuing trust and i think so large investments are being made in that trust and then showing actionable benefits uh, for instance, getting people into trials faster, matching the right patients with the right trials and the right trials with the right drugs. And those are things that I think we're gonna look back in three years and be amazed at the difference in, in cost, uh, speed, and simplicity of clinical research as a result of these collaborations and and frankly, in the ability of physicians in their offices, an individual physician to have access to huge data sets instead of waiting 9 or 12 months for a publication or going to the next meeting in 6 months, I'm sure there are going to be search uh, tools and uh, availability of data uh, for treatment of diseases and also for Benchmarking practices, uh, tools available, uh, physician tools um, that will be enhanced by these collaborations. So I think, I think we're seeing consortia developing, and I think these are you know people they have to be you know all rights have to be protected, and there have to be precautions against conflict of interest and security and HIPAA and all these things. But I think those things are, are everybody gets that at the beginning going in. I think they're being addressed, and I think these kinds of consortia between the uh, uh, governmental agencies between academia um, between the data industry and uh, manufacturers um, and uh, important voluntary organizations you know specialty organizations like the american academy these are going to be the key to really accelerating innovation and, and improving healthcare. so i'm i'm Super excited, to say the least.
0: That's terrific. Noble goals in in, in three years is not that much time, so it's exciting to to see innovation accelerating like like it is. Mark, thanks for uh, joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Tom.
1: It's always a pleasure, and and I look forward to seeing you and uh, and many of you, hopefully, uh, at at, uh, the ongoing OIS conferences and the imaging forum and all the other important medical meetings that are driving our profession forward.
0: We've got, again, the uh, Forum on Laser-Based Imaging is happening on uh, April 8th, and uh, we'll have the uh, link on our uh, podcast website. And, of course, as we t- mentioned at the top, OIS at CECAO is happening on February 21st in New Orleans, and that's uh, shaping up to be a great show. You can go to ois.net to check out the agenda on that and, of course, to register. And, uh, finally, if you could help out the podcast listeners, please uh, give us a ranking and uh, tell your friends and uh, reach out to me. I'm on Twitter, at medtech tom. Or you can email me, Tom, at com. That's the word health, followed by letters E-G-Y dot com. Great. Well, Mark, you've been a a great guest. Thanks again for joining us, and uh, thanks to our podcast listeners for joining us as well. Thank you, Tom. It's been a pleasure.